you definitely oversold your navigation skills <laughs> when we started dating. The only thing that I dream of is for you to be dreaming of me. And the only thing that I long for is for you to long obsessively. Doesn't everybody want to be adored sometimes? That's all we're looking for, even though I know there's so much more to love. You're listening to The One. And I'm Robin Wilson. The One is a podcast that showcases everyday people and the love stories that make them unique. When in a relationship, there are certain roles that we take on, whether they are of a practical nature, like mowing the lawn or cooking dinner, or the things that we do every day, but maybe never really take notice of, like being a cheerleader or a negotiator. These relationship roles may be fluid, passing easily from one person to the next, depending on the situation, or they might be deeply entrenched and rigid. They may adhere to expected gender roles or go willfully against them. On today's special episode of The One, I've enlisted the help of a few friends and past guests of the show to each give their thoughts on the roles within their own relationships. First up is Chris Sakanga. Chris is a writer, video editor, and local podcaster with both Montreal Sauce and Film Frown. And today, he's sharing his thoughts on his role as a house husband, while his wife, Colette, brings home the bacon. Why did I agree to this? Discussing my shortcomings is not good for the brand that is Chris. All right. First things first, the general rules that society has established are ridiculous. That being said, we're working against years of expectations and learned behaviors. It's no excuse, but it is an influence. Now, I don't expect my wife, Colette, to be home, barefoot and pregnant, in the kitchen, making me tacos. However, I think there might be a small part of me that believes I should be the provider. (laughs) It's funny, really, uh, considering our story we told Robin on this very podcast. The reason I moved to Canada instead of Colette coming to the States is because she would make more money teaching here. When we met, we were both rocking our careers, and it was a tough decision, but a logical one. I came here and applied to be a resident. In the meantime, I could not work and take jobs from Canadians. That was that was tough. Perhaps it's more insecurity than dusty gender roles rattling in my head, but it's definitely a societal thing. I mean... What's the first thing you do when you meet someone? You ask them what they do for a living. It was hard introducing myself as Colette's unemployed husband. She married well, right? Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm the sugar baby. Uh, Have you met my sugar mama, Colette? How's that for gender role reversal? Seriously, the guilt was an ugly thing. I took over the house and meals because I just felt like... I wasn't doing my part. A year later, I got my residency, but I had no real network to find work in this new city. On top of that, well, Colette got used to the idea of someone else making all the meals and taking care of the house. In the end, I think our relationship is stronger because of all this. Society, my rural relatives or in-laws might not be fully impressed, but we're happy with each other and our roles. 
I still do all the house husbandry. I have to. She's a slob. <laughs> I'm, I'm nowhere near the career ladder I was on before, and I'm working for myself right now. I'm not entirely comfortable with my role in our retirement savings and finances, but that's it. That's my insecurity and my desire to be the best partner I can be for Colette. It has nothing to do with this weird, small-town attitude of being the provider. (laughs) That's just some male ego jibber-jabber, really. The truth is, Colette and I didn't want to get married. I think it's ridiculous that a piece of paper from a government is required to let people know we love each other. And Colette has never been a fan of the religious history of marriage, which is filled with some loathsome gender roles. We did it so that I could get my residency and move here. So perhaps Colette and I should drop the titles of wife and husband altogether. We're a team. She's my spouse. She's my partner. Next, we have Hannah Barrington. Hannah is an RN who is also an active member of her community as the president of the Junior League of Edmonton. Hannah delves into gender roles within her home and within the professions of her and her husband, David. In our house, we have blue jobs and red jobs. And some other couples uh, might know of this term. They Sometimes they call them blue job, pink job, but I'm not much of a gal for pink, so my jobs are red. So we do have the shorthand when, when one of us wants to do something, doesn't want to do something. So that sounds, sort of sounds like a blue job to me. That's definitely in your wheelhouse, not in mine. And we sat down when, when I was asked this question about gender roles in our relationship. We sat down and we kind of realized very quickly that there are jobs that I don't do around the house, but there really are no jobs that David doesn't do. And that was a bit of a disconcerting revelation uh, to me. But I think it's not, it's not super important to me how the roles are split. It's to me, I care about that, that we're partners and that we're both pitching in to get the work done and that it, that there's never any assumption that one of us can or can't do something based on our gender. David works as a police officer, which is a field dominated by men. Ha <laughs> ha, see what I did there? And I work as a nurse, which is still primarily a woman's profession. If you look at the numbers, even the fact that we are a police officer and a nurse is kind of a cliche. It's a pairing that happens very often. Although usually... People get together after they have found their professions, whereas we both became a cop and a nurse after we were married. And certainly among the police officers and nurses that we know, there is a level of predictability of stereotypical and more traditional, shall we say, divisions of labor. You sometimes hear that dads are, quote, babysitting, which is a term that makes David twist. So knowing that we occupy these roles that are traditionally gendered roles, it just becomes that much more important for us to model behavior that emphasizes that 
David can be the caretaker and the primary caregiver at home. And that I also, I have to be the heavy where I have to be directive and take charge of a situation. I mean, there is no denying that we have chosen these roles that align with what used to be considered typical gendered behavior. And we could discuss whether or not that's nature or nurture till the cows come home. But the reality is that what's important is how we present what those roles look like to our kids and reinforce that these aren't preordained decisions based on their gender identity, that each of us has the capacity to fulfill whatever role, be it professional or within a relationship. Our next contributor is John Evans, a local stage performer who, along with his wife Kat, thinks up creative ways to scare people through their production company, The October People. John reflects on the roles he and Kat take on when planning a party. Oftentimes, I suppose in relationships, it seems to fall to the female or the more feminine, I guess, if you're gender fluid or whatever, um, to, to be the one that tends to prep everything and maybe the more masculine or whatever to, to do the speech or whatever while, uh, while the other kind of spins around in the background or in the kitchen trying to clean up or prepare things or cut and chop. And I think in our relationship, um, I would say it's actually a 50-50 split. For, for being a theater person and a stage performer, I actually am shockingly shy. <laughs> so I kind of like having something to do in the background that gives me an excuse to kind of sneak away every once in a while because I do get quite shy standing there. And Kat tends to be pretty, pretty charismatic, especially in big groups. So it works well. It's a good symbiotic relationship we have for that because she definitely, don't get me wrong, she definitely still chops things and prepares things and does all that. But I don't know, maybe, maybe I get it from my mom because she would be the one that always hosted um, Christmas Eves or, or Christmas Days. So I remember growing up, you know, running around and preparing and helping and, you know, chopping wood, cleaning out the fireplace, getting ready. Um, and sometimes the anticipation of that, the, the actual preparation part, was just as much fun as the actual party. So I don't know, in some, in some weird way, maybe I, I enjoy the, the preparation part just as much. And sometimes, if not more than the party itself, because sometimes, you know, by the time you get to the party, everything is, everything's prepared, everything's going, but you're like, well, I guess this is going to be the end of this at some point, or, (laughs) and I like, I like the kitchen, the kitchen aspect, I like preparing food for people and, and having them tell me they really enjoy my salsa or guacamole or chocolate cake or whatever it is I've made. And maybe it is because we're in theater circles that I don't feel I need to worry about it as much, or maybe the world has advanced in its opinion of people and gender roles enough that I, I haven't yet gotten the, oh, where's your pink apron? You're making cakes and you're doing, you know, you're preparing stuff. I've never really had that. I've never come up against that, uh, that concern. The, the gender, quote-unquote, gender roles of, of hosting a party in our house are are pretty 50-50 regardless. We, we both host, uh, we both prepare, we both clean. And I know that's not always the case in, in relationships. Our final contributor is Danica LeBlanc. 
Danica is an owner of Variant Edition Comics and Culture with her husband, Brandon. When she's not at the store, she tries to catch up on reading and snuggles with her cats, Max and Jim. Danica shares with us a realization about her roles that many of us can relate to, even if we don't want to admit it. What Brandon and I do within our relationship is most of the time uh, we talk openly to each other and, you know, there's, there's always those days where you don't want to talk. <laughs> but we, we started with the foundation of open communication and that's been working for us for many years now. We talk openly about tasks. Uh, we, we, usually, we usually are sharing the responsibility. Um, there are a few things that we delegate to one another, but we still leave uh, wiggle room, basically, for life to get in the way, really, because it will. So it's never, you did this or you didn't do this, because... Sometimes there's a reason, and that's okay. Uh, we're, we're generally working together towards the same goal, so it's understandable if, like, I didn't do laundry this weekend or whatever, just something small like that or something big. We also co-own a business together, so that's a whole other level of sharing responsibilities. But I feel like a lot of our habits we've developed living together uh, through living together, uh, we were able to carry over to the store. What we try to remember is communication, but also that life will get in the way. So you build in a fluidity of uh, in the relationship. Roles are not meant to be concrete. Um, they, they change daily for us. And uh, as long as we have, uh, like, a full task list, you know, um, we, we both work really well with lists. So as long as we can keep to the list, it n- not often matters who ends up doing it, but it can be shifted. It can be delegated. You know, if, if Brandon has just too much to do with the website, um, because he's, he's more the tech side of things, um, so that, that helps with the delegation. Um, I'll, I'll pick up, you know, something else that's on the list. It can get really frustrating um, when the rules aren't defined. I'll admit that. Um, it's not a perfect situation, and there's really no answer one way or the other, whether the rules are concrete or fluid. Um, I do prefer somewhere in the middle, personally. However, that middle does go back and forth. A lot of times I find that I need that structure, even if it's within constrained gender roles, which is kind of messed up in this day and age. But it's almost like a a weird kind of comfort just knowing the expectations. I mean, most days, blowing those expectations out of the water is is where I'm where I'm happy. But every so often, when things get a bit out of control, I like to just know what I can do. As 
completely traditional as that is. To end today's podcast, here is a quick chat with my husband, Phil, because he's my favorite person and I enjoy making him squirm. So to end this episode, I thought I'd take the opportunity to talk to Phil about his thoughts on the roles we take on in our own relationship. This is scary. No, why is it scary? You're in our relationship. You know what roles we take. Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) I guess we will. Over the last several years, you have emerged as the cook in our relationship, which I certainly appreciate. How did that happen? I think just it really happened because of my love of cooking and your love of not cooking. (laughs) It's true. That's an intense (laughs) love. It was a perfect fit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've always, growing up, I've always loved cooking, and and it's the part of the process that I love. Uh, The part of the process I hate is the cleaning up afterwards, which I'm more than happy to stick you with, so... (laughs) Uh, I think that just works out perfectly for us, that one of us loves to do one of the jobs. It's true. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of evolved naturally, I think. It wasn't something that we ever sat down and said, ugh, you need to start cooking because I just really can't do it. Well, I think it just happens naturally because of the fact that both of us appreciate me doing the cooking <laughs> more than you doing the <laughs> cooking. So, What he's not saying is, I really don't cook well, and when I cook, he generally ends up making his own meal anyway. <laughs> well, I think we have our own things that we cook, right? Like, there's a few certain things, like when it comes to sandwiches, for the most part, that's your domain. You're good at sandwiches. You make great sandwiches. Perfect. I'll let you do that. You won't let me make macaroni and cheese because you feel like you're better at it. I am. But, you know, there's a small handful of things that you like to cook, and and it's your responsibility. But the rest seems to fall on me because, uh, well, I mean, frankly, you're better at I'm it. just a better cook. That's all. So your parents modeled very traditional roles as you were growing up. Do you think that had an impact on how you approach our relationship? I don't think so, to be honest. Um, yeah, my mom was very much the, the homemaker. She did all the stuff around the house, and my dad was very much to go out and work and do the stuff in the yard and fix the car and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it turns out that I don't really do either of those. <laughs> uh, I somehow managed to embrace none of those roles. Which is really interesting when you think about the impact that our parents have growing up, and really, you just sort of went your own way and became your own man. Well, I think my parents influenced how I grew up to be and the kind of man I am now uh, in a lot of ways. But influencing someone's behavior and how they view the world and and what kind of person they are isn't really the same thing as what they're going to do around the house. You know, of all the traits that I want to get from my parents, I got all the best ones, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. (laughs) Uh, And if if I somehow missed out on a couple of menial chore traits, I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. So one role for us in our relationship that is set in stone has never changed in the 16 years we've been together is that of driver and a navigator while in the car. Mm-hmm. Because I don't drive. And from very early on in our relationship, I somehow managed to convince you that I was a very good navigator. It's true. This is one of the ways that you wooed me <laughs> with your superior navigation skills. It's true. In the old days, you used to get out the map and you'd follow that. And I see him sometimes thinks that was actually working better than the the electronic navigation, which is, uh, you know, for us has historically been a bit of a source of frustration in the car. <laughs> Having said that, uh, I would still take someone looking at a map and figuring out where we're going over, figuring it out myself all the time while I'm trying to drive, because then I can, you know, take the time to look out the window a little bit and take in some surroundings instead of just be focused on every turn and every street that we're coming up to. 
So what I'm hearing is, even though despite the hundreds of wrong turns that I have taken you on over the last several years in the car, you would still prefer me to be the navigator? Um, you know, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> you are a navigator. <laughs> I am a navigator. You definitely, you definitely oversold your navigation skills <laughs> when we started dating, and it became... Um, you know, increasingly more obvious the more that we took driving trips that this was a lie. <laughs> uh, okay. So one thing, uh, as we've already discussed, I'm so happy that you've taken on the cooking in our home because really I dislike it immensely. Another thing that you do that I really appreciate is the levity that you can bring to any situation that we're in. Uh, you always seem to know how to make me laugh, even in really difficult either sad or frustrating circumstances. You always know just the right thing to say to make me laugh. So what roles do I fill in our relationship that you appreciate? I think kind of along the same lines, actually. Um, You know, you definitely give me a chuckle when sometimes I need it. Uh, But more than that, I think the biggest thing for me is I tend to get as much as I can be really mellow and relaxed and calm and got got my shit together about bigger issues that are going on, the small stuff really irritates me and just can drive me into this frenzy of being pissed off, like in traffic or whatever. And when I get frustrated, I I cease to function properly. And I just, that just builds and I just get more and more pissed off all the time. And you just have this way of like, honey, just settle down. Just take a second, take a breath. It's not that big a deal, which is sometimes annoying at the time (laughs) when all I want to hear is, yes, you're totally justified in your stupid rant. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes I need that. I need someone to tell me that I'm being a little nutty and just settle down. Things aren't as annoying or as bad as, as I think they are at the second. So one thing in our relationship over all this time, we have never tried role playing. Is there any scenario that you would like to see us play out in the future? Uh, I don't know. I don't really have the whole like, oh my God, nurses or, you know, French maids. I suppose they're all, I don't know. A good-looking woman's a good-looking woman, no matter what she's wearing, as far as I'm concerned. But I really just don't think I have that one fetish thing that, you know, like women have with firemen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's like nurses or, you know, whatever, name schoolgirl outfit or anything like that. I don't really have that one thing that is my big fantasy or anything like that. And I think, honestly, I think knowing the two of us, we'd probably spend more time just giggling and laughing about how ridiculous this is the whole time anyway. Yeah, I can't imagine so, it being super sexy. No, I think it probably with us would be the opposite of sexy. <laughs> It'd be more like a comedy routine that we'd be laughing about for the whole time and then we'd go watch Netflix and eat popcorn. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Let's go do that. Yeah, let's role play that right now. Cool. Thanks to Chris, Hannah, John, Danica, and Phil for sharing their thoughts with me today. And thank you for listening to this episode of The One. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on either iTunes or Google Play, because there are many more love stories to be told. If you're in a relationship and would like to chat with me about it, or know someone who you think has a story that should be shared, drop me a line at lovestorypodcast at gmail.com, and we can all work together to keep a little love in the air. The music for The One is I Love You Oddly by Rebecca Angel. You can hear more from Rebecca at ReverbNation.com backslash Rebecca Angel. Until next time, here's a quote from Marion Keys. Some think love can be measured by the amount of butterflies in their tummy. Others think love can be measured in bunches of flowers or by using the words forever. But love can only truly be measured by actions. It can be a small thing, 
such as peeling an orange for a person you love because you know they don't like doing it. <laughs>